Muslim Chat presents Heroes of Islam, a 30-part series on the lives of some of the greatest Muslims to walk this earth. So, for this one, we will just go briefly through the life of Tariq ibn Ziyad and those individuals who led to his conquest of Spain. Firstly, we have to go back a bit to Khalid ibn Walid. So when Khalid ibn Walid was in Syria at the time, after conquering it, he found a young boy in a monastery learning the Bible. And when I say young boy, I don't mean like kid, but like in his youth, late youth. So he went up to him and offered him Islam, and this boy accepted Islam. And this boy was named Nusayr. Later on, he accompanied Khalid in his expeditions and in his ways and hung around the government officials so that he ended up becoming the guard of Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan later on. In the year 19 after Hijra, he has a son who was born. His name is Musa. And Musa, from a young age, he grew up in a household of jihad, basically. So his father was a mujahid. His mother was also a mujahid or mujahida. And the entire household he used to live in was after the, the, the terbiya spreading Islam and learning the deen. So his full name is Abu Abdurrahman Musa ibn Nusayr al-Lakhmi. When he became a youth, he started to participate with Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan in his expeditions to the sea, so during the reign of Uthman ibn Affan. Then later on in his life, he became closer to the government officials, and he ended up becoming a governor in North Africa under the reign of Walid ibn Abdul Malik. So what happened was, the first time around, when Uqba ibn Nafi and the other Sahaba, they went to North Africa and they gave them da'wah and some of them accepted Islam, but the very Western regions, like what is now as Morocco, they accepted Islam out of fear. They were afraid of Aqba. So it ended up happening that since they were scared, they were actually not Muslim, but hiding their kufr inside and ended up betraying Aqba and fought him and then rebelled against the Muslims. And sadly, Aqba bin Nafi died at that. Now Musa bin Nusayr comes under the under the command of Walid bin Abdul Malik that you know go back and take control of that land again and this time actually give them tawa. That was the mistake of Aqba bin Nafi. He was a bit too concerned with trying to go as far as he can to conquer the lands, but not give tawa enough. So this time around, Musa bin Nusayr he went to that area in the Maghrib and he, he gave them tawa. He called them to Islam. They accepted sincerely this time. And from them, he ended up taking a young boy as a slave. Later on, this young boy proves to be someone very interesting. So he goes, and as he's conquering, he comes to this region called Panja, and he has to go and take it back. And this was the main region that was like instrumental in trying to conquer Andalus because it's at the coast of North Africa, the Maghrib region. 
just today I think it's called like Tangeria or something. So after he conquers the North African areas and becomes the governor, he gives an interesting khutbah to all of them. Or yeah, we could call it a khutbah, I guess. He says to them that, you know, I am a man just like you. If you see something good from me, then praise Allah. If you see something wrong from me, then, you know, I'm human like you and I make mistakes like you. So denounce it and correct me. And I am also accountable, just like you are accountable. And then he says something very interesting that really makes them, you know, think this guy is on our side and he's going to help us. He says that if you have a need, raise it up to us and we will do our best to relieve you of it. Like all your problems are in our hands now. That's what he's saying. So he moves on to us where he conquers that area, which is Tangeria now. And he wants to put someone in charge as the governor of the area. So he puts his freed slave in charge as the governor. And this freed slave, his name is Tariq ibn Ziyad. And from a young age, he trained Tariq in the battles. So he was like very brave. Very, he was used to a rough life. That was one thing as well. He was from the Berber tribe. And in that time, they were very like in the mountainous regions or you could say very rough kind of life in that time. Now what happens is that since Tariq is from them, they will not think that, oh, you know, a foreigner has come to rule over us and subjugate us and push us down like they did with Aqba bin Nafi and the others. They thought, okay, these are just foreigners, these conquering us. So this was another smart tactic of Musa bin Nusayr that he would teach, he would not teach, he would put him in charge. So as a way that they would gain the trust of someone that is from them. Another thing Musa taught Tariq was the Qur'an. And then later on, Tariq, when he gives speeches, he uses a lot of ayat from the Qur'an. That's, an inter- that's another thing about him. So what happened was, uh, there was a guy, his name was Julian. And he had sent um, his daughter to Spain. This is one of the riwayat that, uh, you know, uh, that say that how the conquest of Andalus was started. So he sent her to Spain to learn some sciences that were only available in that area. And he was the governor of a very northern tip of Africa and a little bit of that area he owned. So the person who was in charge, his name was like Ricardo or something, I, I can't really pronounce it, but he ended up doing something to his daughter that made him mad. So. He defiled her honor or something. So then Julian comes to the Muslims and he's like, you know, these Christians, they become a bit uh, barbaric and wild and are just doing whatever they want now. So why don't I give you ships and you take your men, go conquer that land and take revenge for me? Of course, he wanted revenge. The Muslims had a much different approach and much different idea in mind. It says that, the Prophet and the Ansar were entering Al-Andalus and they said to Tariq that, you know, come with us and do what you are meant to do. And then another account, it just says that the Prophet said directly to Tariq in a dream that do what you were made for. And this is one of the things that made Tariq convinced that he was going to take over this land no matter what. So comes the year of 92 after Hijra in Rajab, that Musa bin Nusayr, he got around 7,000 ship 
or 7,000 men in one riwayah and in another riwayah, 5,000 men. And he made Tariq ibn Ziyad their leader. And he said, you know, go up north. Now, just an interesting point. Musa bin Nasir was not concerned with taking revenge. He wanted to actually conquer this land and bring it under Islamic rule. What he did a few months before he was, he sent Tarif ibn Malik up north with a few hundred men or so. And he said, you know, go scout the area. Don't invade. Don't do anything. Just scout the area and tell me how the land is so that we may prepare for something. So the goal is always in his mind is da'wah and spreading Islam. There's no goal of, oh, let's just conquer land and gain money. And that's another thing. Musa ibn said his entire life, he lived as a Zahid. He didn't have much of the dunya, even though he could have become a king if he wanted. As for Tariq ibn Ziyad's birthday, it's really not known, but it says that he was born around 65 after Hijrah. So in 92, he would probably be around, you could say about in his 20s. So in Rajab, they head up, and as they're camped there, a little problem arises that, you know, there's only 5,000 or 7,000 men, so we need a little bit more. So Tariq ibn Ziyad requests more men from Musa bin Nusayr. Then later on, during the battle, 5,000 more come. So the total number becomes around 10,000 to 12,000. Now, the very famous incident that everyone seems to know, that Tariq ibn Ziyad burned the boats. But what's more interesting is what he said after he burned the boats. He said to the people, he's like, are you on us, O people, meaning my soldiers? Where are you going to run? Behind you is the ocean, and in front of you is the enemy of Allah. He says, Allah does not desire anything from you except encouragement, except your courage and patience. Then he said something very interesting that it, it, he didn't know what the effect of what he was saying was, but for the Muslims that come after him, they see that 700 years of Islamic rule almost 800 years of Islamic rule in that land will rest a, a long sweetness afterwards. So meaning take a little bit of hardship now, and then afterwards your comfort and your luxury will be much longer. And that's exactly what happened. And then he decided to give them a little bit of like uh, instructions in case anything were to go wrong in the battle. So it says, if I was killed then, and he used two ayats from the Quran, an ayah from Surah Baqarah and an ayah from Surah Anfal and he combined between them. So he says, وَلَا تَحِلُوا وَلَا تَحْزَنُوا وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا فَتَفْشَلُوا That if I get killed, so don't become sad or don't become like, تَحِنُوا mean like weak, don't become like weak and lose hope. And then don't become depressed and don't, don't start, you know, arguing amongst your and one another, or else your strength will be dispersed. So you can see that his entire life was based on the Quran, and the entire aim of jihad in Islam is just to make the word of Allah the most high. So there was no aim of doing conquer and just take land and then just take all the ghanima and for yourself. It was all the aim was just for the sake of bringing the people into the reign of Islam and under the rule of Islam. So the battle starts in Rajab, and it keeps going on for two months. And as is the case with many of the battles of the Muslimin, in Ramadan, the victory of Allah descends and the Rahmah of Allah descends upon the Mu'mineen. So on the 28th, 28th of Ramadan, in 92 after Hijrah, almost two to two and a half months of fighting, the Muslims are victorious. They defeat Roderick and Tariq ibn Ziyad, 
ends up taking that land. And the land where Tanakh ibn Ziyad landed on, or that place, the Muslims decided to name that mountain in that area, Jabal Tariq. Till today, it still has that name, but it's like pronounced Gibraltar. So now that, you know, the big man of the enemy is gone, now it's just, you know, a little bit of conquering left, or not really even conquering at this point, just go give da'wah and they'll just turn to the reign of Islam. Because the people, they didn't even like what was happening with the Toledo Council and the Spaniards and their unjust, tyrannical policies. They were also very racist as well, so which made the people become more inclined towards Islam and towards the Muslim rule. So later on, Tariq ibn Ziyad, you know, tells Musa, yeah, this was a success and, you know, why don't you come over and... Uh, you have a look for yourself as well. So Musa ibn Nusayr comes with 18,000 men. Then Tariq ibn Ziyad and Musa ibn Nusayr simultaneously kept conquering the entire Spanish peninsula until they went up to France. And at that time, you know, uh, they were told by Al-Walid ibn Abdul Malik that, you know, stop and come back to me and report back to me. Then, then we'll see what we do. But unfortunately, after that, the Muslims never went up north because every time they would just go up north, someone in their own regiment and their own military and unit would just betray them and the unit would just collapse. So, Allah, that is where the reign or the borders of the Islamic empire will end for the rest of the Khilafah. However, though, before we go on to what happens when Musa bin Nusayr returns, the thing we have to see is that they didn't just look at the purpose of Islam as just giving da'wah alone, nor did they just give it, nor did they just see it as just worship alone, but together they put two and two together. You go out and you spread Islam, you also maintain the best form of akhlaq, so your akhlaq becomes da'wah as well. Musa bin Nusayr was not into the dunya, he was not like the non-Muslim kings in that time who were like obsessed with dunya, obsessed with wealth, just kept imposing harsh policies on the people. Musa bin Nusayr was nice, easygoing, didn't never, you know, taxed even Ahmed Mimamus what they were capable of. And later on, we see that the very same mistake that these non-Muslim rulers in the Spanish and other areas we're doing the Muslim rulers will do it as well, but they'll even be worse in this regard because what they'll end up doing is they will end up taking jizya from the Muslims and giving it to the non-Muslim ruler up in France and otherwhere just to make sure that they don't invade. So then you keep having this like fear and wahan amongst the Muslimin to the extent that you basically sold out your land and you're like an encaged prisoner or encaged prisoners in a land and you're continuously paying to have your freedom, which doesn't even last because then the Spanish empire of what will remain of the Muslim empire in that time broke up into like many other states as well. And then later on, inshallah, Allah gives us tawfiq. In this series, we will talk about another hero who came in and fixed this entire mess up, who was also just like Musa bin Nusayn, not into dunya, 
but this guy was even better. He was an alim. So anyways, Musa bin Nusayr decides, you know, time to head back. And he puts his son, Abdul Aziz, in charge of that area of Spain. It says, you're the governor now. And as he's going back, he also says, you know, Tariq ibn Ziyad, you come with me as well. Let's go back to the Khalifa and see what he wants. As they're going, they arrive in the land around Palestine. And they get news that Abdul Wali, or Walid ibn Abdul Malik is on his deathbed. So they try to make haste, but unfortunately, they cannot make it in time. And uh, he's dead at that time. And his uh, brother becomes the new Khalifa, Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik. Suleiman, he thought that these two were acting on their own and not obeying the Khalifa, not reporting back as they should have been doing it much more often because they had conquered so much of land. And then, you know, when they reached the borders of Spain, then Al-Walid ibn Abdul Malik gets the news that, oh, that we've gone this far up now. So he decided to just take away their titles and their rank of governors, and they just lived a normal life for that time being. Some say they were imprisoned. What happens to Tariq ibn Ziyad after this is unknown. No one knows whether he died, whether he was imprisoned, or whether he just went about his life and passed away. No one knows when he died even. But in Musa ibn Nusayr, there are a few accounts. Some say that he was imprisoned. Others say that he ended up doing hajj. And Allah, this seems plausible because Musa ibn Nusayr had a dua. He said that, oh Allah, either take me in jihad on the battlefield meeting or take me during hajj. So Musa ibn Nusayr, the very, at a very old age, in 97 after hijrah, so to do some quick math, he's about like maybe close to his 80s at this point now. So he was born in 19 after hijrah and dies in 19, so around 78. And the thing was, for his entire life, he could not do hajj because he was preoccupied with spreading the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But today, subhanAllah, what is the reason we deny hajj for things that are much less than this? May Allah rectify our affairs. So what we see from this entire incident is a bit of a line, if you like. One good person influences another good person, influenced by another good person. It just, it's a continuous line. It's not like, you know, Tariq ibn Ziyad had religious parents or religious friends or he learned under a lot of ulama. But it was more like, you know, a continuous chain of righteous individuals guiding each other. So what happens first is Khalid ibn Walid puts the love of Islam in Nusayr's heart. Nusayr brings up his son with the love of Islam, the love of spreading the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he, and he decides to marry somebody who also loves Islam and loves spreading the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Her name is not really well known. I could not really find it, but in books she's mentioned as Um Musa, and it is said that she would participate in Ghazawat, and she would actually fight as well. But her role was more like just staying with the women folk. But anytime an enemy would get near the women folk, she would become the warrior and defend all of the people in that area. There were no men around. Another thing we see from Tariq ibn Ziyad is that he could you know, use the Quran when it was needed. What I mean is like he knew which ayat hit the people's heart and he knew how to word his sentences in a way that would really take effect on the people. 
and the psychological, tactical warfare of all of these individuals. Khalid bin Walid is the master of this. He used this a lot in many of his battles. He would just trick the opponents. And other times he would, to get his own men on the side, he would try to show some bravery to get the Muslims upon his side. And that's another thing. Farq ibn Ziyad also said to his men that don't think I'm putting you on you. And don't think I am putting on you an obligation that I myself am running from. He says, no, I will be the at the forefront of this and fighting in the depths of their ranks. So he's saying, like, don't think I'm the coward and just telling you, you know, you go out and risk your life. I will go with you. So with a contingent, a cadre of 12,000 men, he was able to conquer 100,000. And this is nothing except from the fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He gives it to whom he wills. But this is another thing that we see that none of his men betrayed him. And anytime the Muslimin decided to go and anywhere up north from Spain again, this would always happen. They would be going up north, everything would be good. As soon as they meet the enemy, some guy in their rank makes a deal with the enemy for money, for security. Then like a third of the unit is broken off and the Muslims start fighting each other. Then the victory of Allah does not descend upon such people. Also, we see a little mistake on the part of Uqba bin Nafir that despite his good intentions and despite his like desire to spread Islam, he didn't really give the importance and the time to da'wah. He was more you know, interested in trying to gain the entire world under the rule of Islam. This is what, when he was standing at the coast of the Maghrib, he was looking over the ocean and he said, Oh Allah, had it not been for this ocean, I would have galloped with my horse till the ends of the earth to spread your deen and make you the most high in the entire of the world. But another thing from these people is their righteous approach did not leave them out from amazing miracles. One day he was in North Africa. This was before he got to the western part of North Africa. This, it was nighttime, so his soldiers decided to camp out and rest. But there was a forest nearby, and Uqba suspected, you know, there might be wild animals inside. Uqba walks up to the forest, says in a loud voice to the animals, he says, oh you, oh, you inhabitants of the forest, we have come, and we are here to spread the deen of Allah. Not harm my men. And do not come near us for the night. The people say we saw that the animals were moving out of the forest and going away from their people. And this is not like just a one-time thing from Uqba bin Nafi'ah as well. Even Ibn al-Jawzi used to pray in the jungles sometimes. And the animals would never come near him. They would just leave him alone and walk away. The greatest lesson we can take from this is that our entire lives should be for Islam. Tariq ibn Ziyad didn't complain that uh, no, my master is just forcing me into Islam and just trying to make me this and that. But rather he looked at it from the perspective of I've been given this deen and there are people out there that have not been given this deen. Why don't we go and give them the deen as well? It's like sharing something. Why keep it to yourself when you can share it with others?
May Allah have mercy on all of them, forgive them for any of their mistakes, grant them paradox and and grant them all the rewards for all the inspiration they gave to us and all those who came after them. And give us the tufik to follow in the footsteps of them and to do what we can to the best of our abilities and make us from amongst the best of the people of this ummah. Ameen. And with that, we will conclude. سبحانك اللهم بحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك. This was produced by the Muslim Chat Discord server, the best online forum run on the principles of the Quran and Sunnah. Find out more and join now at www.muslim.chat.